sermon series that we began last week is called Liturgy of the Ordinary. We are drawing our attention to how everyday practices can have spiritual meaning. The subtitle, uh, this is based on a book by the same title, uh, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. And we started at the beginning last week, we talked about waking up and just how if you wake up every morning realizing God loved me even while I was sleeping. God loves us before we even do anything to justify our existence, to prove ourselves. We start our day living from that love of God and not for trying to earn that love of God. How would that change our lives? And a lot of, I got a lot of good feedback on this message, people saying, that's a good reminder. I need to be reminded about this. Today we're going to talk about rhythms and rituals and just these, the habits that we form because they often are reminders, things that we already know that we're reminded about. Like every Sunday I get up here and say, the kids are dismissed, and where are they going? We already know, but Family Life Center. It's a rhythm. It's a ritual that we participate in. Today, the everyday practice that we're going to attach some spiritual meaning to is not far from waking up. We're not going to get very far into the day. Throughout this series, we will but today we're not making it past the bedroom because the everyday discipline that we're going to talk about this morning is making your bed. Now, this is a bit of a controversial issue because some people are adamant that every day you should wake up and you should make your bed. You should make it look like it did before you climbed into it. At night, if you have 15 pillows on your bed, you got to put those 15 pillows back when you start your day. Making the bed is as religious as following Jesus for some people. And then in the other camp, you have a group of people that will say, not making the bed is what you should be doing. Not just it's optional, sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't do it, but they will say it is not a good use of time. What's the point? What does it matter? Why should I make my bed? And they are as staunchly against making the bed as some people are staunchly for making the bed every morning. Now I'm curious which camp this church falls into. And so just for a moment, I want to invite you to turn to the person next to you and uh, make a case for why you think people should make their bed every morning or not make their bed every morning. And you're not allowed to be in the middle. Well, I can see both. Nope. It's one or the other. We're drawing a line in the sand. So right now, turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm a bed maker or I'm a not bed maker. Ready? Go. And people online, you can weigh in on the chat if you want. Make the bed. Don't make the bed. check the chat. We'll see. All right, is everybody still friends? Nobody, you, you didn't pair up with someone and now you're angry and you're trying to dissuade each other? I saw some people turn to each other and, and like, I didn't hear what they were saying, but then they fist bumped afterwards. And I'm like, okay, 
They are like-minded. We have two bed makers or two not bed makers. Time to be honest. Time for uh, full transparency. Raise your head if you're a, raise your hand if you're a bed maker, please. Whoa, a lot of us. Interesting. Now raise your hand if you're a not bed maker. Okay. Wow. Okay. More than I thought. It's almost 50-50. I think there's a few more make the bed folks. Okay, so by the time we leave this room today, we all have to be unanimous. Someone's going to change someone else's mind. No, 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 I'm just, I'm just kidding. You might be a, a make your bed, and you have your reasons. You might be against it, and then there's reasons too. This is like a very, you can go online and, and Google this. This is a very contentious issue for people. They tend to be very passionate about the reasons they are for making your bed in the morning or not making your bed. The no people, like I said, will say it doesn't matter. No one's going to see it. Nobody goes in my bedroom but me. What difference does it make? I don't even go in my room until the end of the day. The blankets still work just fine. I can, I'll clean the rest of my house, but leave me alone when it comes to making the bed. What's the point? It's extra work. It's unnecessary. You save yourself time and energy by not making your bed. Anybody switching over to the dark side? Anybody persuaded? No? Okay. The yes people have their reasons as well. They'll say, even if no one sees it, and someone might see it, you never know, it feels good. It's a good way to start the day. It gives you a sense of peace knowing that it's done. Naval Admiral William McRaven, in a commencement speech, was advocating for making the bed. And here's what he said. He said, if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. Yep. Amen from the making your bed crowd. Yeah, that's me. That's why I do it. Same question. Anybody from the not making bed? Are you guys wanting to cross over to the other side? And Is anybody persuaded? Well, as I said, uh, the goal is not to get us all in agreement. We don't all have to agree on this. But, uh, and the camp that you're in is probably because you've developed that habit of either making your bed every day or most days or not making your bed. It's kind of ingrained. It's what you do or don't do. I'm not here to say one is right and one is wrong. Instead, I want us to think about the habit and the discipline of making your bed and what it represents in the life of a Jesus follower. And I want us to acknowledge the truth that's in that one last part of Admiral McRaven's quote where he says, the little things in life matter. I think that that's true. There's spiritual value into acknowledging the little things in life matter. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But let me introduce you to uh, the author of the book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's a very smart, very creative uh, woman named Tish Harrison Warren. She tells the story in this chapter in the book about her morning ritual. Now, she was a not bed maker. Woo! Anybody? Not bed maker? Yeah! All right. Who cares? Doesn't matter. What's the difference? That's where she lived. She started noticing that she didn't start her day by making her bed. Why would I? What's the point? She had a different morning routine, and it was related to her relationship with her smartphone. She realized that every morning, wake up, she'd roll over, and she'd reach for her phone. And she would start her first 10 minutes of her day in bed, not even out of bed yet, certainly not with a made 
bed, but she would check the usual sites, social media, see what people have posted in the last 12 hours, six hours, who knows, see what the news feeds are saying, see what the algorithm is throwing at me in terms of advertisements, and she's, this was just a habit for her. She didn't say, you know what I'm missing in my life is like advertisements and social media opinions and uh, news media and clickbait. She didn't say that's what I need, so I'm going to start doing this. It was just sort of a, she just kind of started doing it. And then it became a habit. Each morning she would reach for that phone and kind of start to miss that glowing screen experience when it wasn't there. Uh, she said she realized it started setting the tone for her day in a way that she didn't intend it to, but it just sort of sent this message to her brain that, like, what's important is what's on the screen. And with that morning habit that she had developed, she realized she was reaching for her phone more often throughout the rest of the day. And she was checking updates on news stories that she caught tidbits of throughout the day or posts that other people had said, sent, and put on social media. She was becoming more and more attached to the information from her screen. She was being formed by what she was doing, and she didn't even realize it. She talks about this... Uh, process in nature called imprinting. You may have heard about this. If a baby turtle or chick or a puppy is born, they're going to be imprinted with the person that cares for them. If that person is uh, the, the mother, the animal parent, then they're going to be imprinted, and there's going to be this connection that happens. But if it's someone else, like if they're, you know, a rescue animal, or if, like, an uh, animal is bred in captivity and then raised by zookeepers or something like that, there's still an imprinting process that happens. She said, that's not dissimilar than from what was happening with me and my phone. I was having this first thing in the morning, imprinting with this need to reach for my cell phone. It set the tone for her day. Author Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. That may seem obvious, but it's actually very profound. In our minds sometimes we have these goals. This is who I am. This is what I do. But the little things matter. The things that we do first thing in the morning, the things that we do throughout our day, the things that we intentionally make time to do ritually, habitually, consistently shape us and form us. And that's important to acknowledge. Here's what Tish Harrison Warren says. By reaching for my smartphone every morning, I developed a ritual that trained me toward a certain end, entertainment and stimulation via technology. My unexamined daily habit was shaping me into a worshiper of glowing screens. Uh-oh. She's a Christian. She's a, a ministry leader in her church. She'd never set out to worship a glowing screen, and I don't think any of the rest of us do either. But this is what she came to realize. I should be worshiping God. She realized she was not heeding the instructions that were given by the Apostle Paul when he writes to the churches in Rome. Paul says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Nod your head if you've heard that before. Do not be conformed, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Tish was slowly and unknowingly conforming to the pattern of the world at the expense of nourishing her soul first thing in the morning. 
So it seems important that we should renew our mind, be intentional about how we live our lives, be aware if any habits that we have formed unknowingly have started to influence us. How do we renew our mind? Now, the first and obvious answer that we may reach for is we just think differently. You just change the way you think. That's part of it, but how well does that work out for you? Have you ever made a New Year's resolution and you said, I think, I resolve, I'm going to do this, and then you drop it? And maybe there were some actions related to it, but thinking something, thinking you're going to change only gets you so far. Here's another example. Have you ever had a procedure? or uh, a doctor assign you some kind of change in your lifestyle, don't pick up anything that weighs more than 10 pounds off your counter or off the floor. Don't do it. Okay, I agree. That's not good for me. It's part of my healing to refrain. And then you do it anyway. Have you ever done that? (laughs) I know a lot of you have because you told me that you've had. It's what made me think about it. You know the thing that you should do, but it doesn't always result in actions or healthy habits. Lisa and I uh, took the whole family on a trip to India in uh, December, and the trip was great in a lot of ways, but we were at the mercy of our hosts a lot of the time for what we were eating. And what we were eating, not always the healthiest. They've got this wonderful uh, tradition that I love where they start the day with chai tea, like chai tea and milk. Oh, delicious. And since we were Westerners, they put a ton of sugar in it. They're like, oh, they'll like it more if they put sugar in it. And they were right. It was great. It's like a ton of sugar in my tea, and each cup of tea came with like five or six uh, tea cookies, butter cookies, cookies sometimes with frosting on them, little chocolate things. Oh, that was great, but not super healthy. But we did that for a whole month. Also, there's a lot of gravies. There's a lot of sauces. There's a lot of rich foods. There's a lot of breads that go with each meal. There's a lot of carbohydrates. And so by the end of the trip, Lisa and I were saying on the flight home, you know what we're looking forward to when we get back? Just a salad. Just a a raw carrot, something crunchy that we can get back on track and feel healthy and get our digestive systems moving in the right direction, not to put too fine a point on it. But this is true. We were excited to make healthy choices and to have healthy habits again. And we looked at each other and was like, yes, that's what we're going to do when we get home. Now ask me if that's what we did when we got home. We did not. We landed on Christmas Day. I don't know if you know this, but Christmas is a very chocolatey season. (laughs) There's goodies and cakes and candies and and treats and like people who are already jumping and getting a head start on their New Year's resolutions, they bring all their junk food to the Parnell door and they're like, hey, you got a bunch of kids. You probably want this. We're like, all right, we can't be rude. I guess we have to eat all these cookies and muffins and chocolates now. And we So what we said we were going to do, we were so convicted. We felt it. We believed it. We made it, like, said it out loud. But we didn't do it. The habit wasn't formed. It didn't set in. This is just an example of how we think renewing your mind has to do with your thoughts. And what we're going to do, we think, often lives in the thought realm. But we forget that it's connected to our bodies, what we do with our mornings, what we do with our routines and our habits, it's also connected to our gut. They have done studies that talk about how the the microbes in your stomach are communicating with your brain, and your brain can say, I'm going to do this, and your stomach goes, no, 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 what we should do is eat all that Christmas junk food, and the brain goes, all right, well, you make a strong case. You sound very passionate about this. Your brain's connected to your your gut by the the vagus nerve, right? That, That sounds true. 
<laughs> I think I read about that. Some scientists even call your gut your second brain because of how strongly it can steer your decisions, your decision-making process. We need to be aware of this. There's an old uh, idiom or phrase, maxim, you probably heard, that the, the best way to a man's heart is through his what? Yeah. But apparently, the best way to any person's brain is through our stomach, our desires, our passions. So we hear Paul say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't renew your mind unless you get the rest of the body involved, because the whole thing is connected. And next week, I'm excited, we're going to talk more about what we do with our bodies and this bodily existence that we have, that Jesus had, and how we live faithfully with these bodies. But what this means for us in renewing our minds is habits and actions and disciplines. You might remember about 11 months ago, or this time last year, we started a series called Enemies of the Soul. Nod your head if you remember this series. It was also based on a a book, uh, and we kind of came up with this phrase that we repeated over and over again. This is the problem that we face in terms of what's happening spiritually that's trying to pull us away from God. It goes like this. The lies of the devil, that is uh, the first enemy of the soul, lead to disordered desires, and that's what the Bible refers to as the flesh, that are then normalized in an unbelieving society. The devil, the flesh, the world. Again, does this sound familiar? This is not too long ago. We, We spent a lot of time in this. The lies of the devil lead to disordered desires that are then normalized in an unbelieving society. Now hold on to that phrase, disordered desires. Because what we talked about is it's not always the worst thing in your life. A disordered desire, the passions that can harm us are not necessarily like uh, addiction to hard drugs or a habit that's pulling you away from your family and having you blow thousands of dollars in a casino or something like that. We all say, wow, that's crisis mode. Usually the disordered desires are the good things in our lives that we elevate to ultimate things. And we realize our priorities are out of whack. We prioritize work or earning or status or money or it can be health and fitness and spending too much time caring about those things and we deprioritize our faith, spiritual disciplines, community, being honest, having conversation with the people in our households. Anyway, you remember this concept. This relates to what Paul is saying here. Disordered desires sounds a lot like conforming to the pattern of the world. Disordered desires are bad habits that we often don't realize we are involved in until we take a step back and evaluate. Disordered desires is like Tish's compulsion to check her glowing screen every morning and then let the rhythms of her day kind of flow from there. And if this is not, if you can't relate to this, if you're like, I don't use my phone all that much. My phone's not next to my bed. I don't grab it. I don't start my day with my phone. That's good. As you can see, that that could be a harmful thing. But it might be something else. It might be that we put too much stock in what cable news is telling us. We start our day with anxiety and panic and fear about what's going to happen. And we forget the God of creation. We forget the Jesus that says, trust me, follow me. I've got you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My load is easy. My burden is light. We listen to other voices, and it could be voices from media, like we said. It could also just be 
do you encounter a very negative person every day that just starts your day? You're like, hey, I'm ready to go live for Christ. I'm, I'm living from the love of God. I know that I'm a treasured, valued child of God. And they go like, there's another day. I got to go deal with this. Like, is there a negative voice in your life that is setting the tone instead? Real, serious, convicting question. Are you that negative voice in someone's life? Is reshaping everything to have a dark cloud over it? I'm asking for a friend because I'm certainly never like that. What did Tish do when she realized that reaching for her phone, which seemed harmless, when she realized that it was actually shaping her in a way that she didn't want to be shaped? Here's what she did. She started making her bed every morning. Again, this is someone who is not pro-making the bed. She replaced what she identified to be a bad habit with an intentional discipline. She started making her bed every morning. And then when she made the bed, she would sit on the end of the bed and just take a moment of silence to sit and pray, sometimes a directed prayer, thankful prayer, praying for the people in her life. Sometimes it was just a listening prayer. I think in... Church, sometimes we get really good at prayer requests and asking. You've heard me talk about this before. But we need to make more space in our lives for the prayer that just acknowledges that God is with us, that God is in control, that God has us. And we just sit and go, okay, what do you have for me? Tish started doing this. She began her prayer, or she began her day with quiet, contemplation, and prayer instead of entertainment. She realized that as she was pulling the sheets up over the mattress and making it look smooth and orderly and uh, just a different interaction with a different kind of rectangle than her phone was providing her, she realized this was kind of like enacting the God of creation. It reminded her that she believed in a God who created intentionally, who took chaos and disorder and ordered it. Go back to Genesis 1. It tells us that God went into the chaos and said, no, order it. Now it's in order. This is how it should be. And he said, it's good. And then you jump to Genesis 2, which tells us, ah, there's more to that too. God didn't just autopilot it. He did it in a hands-on way. As she's touching the sheets and fluffing the pillows in a hands-on way, she's realizing this is a creative act that kind of images the God who made her. It's intentional. It's not just thinking, ah, I should make my bed, or ah, it doesn't matter. She was adding her actions to this, and it became a new habit. The daily discipline, she says in her book, it changed her. It started her day with order. She started thinking about God. She could have said, uh, I'll skip that part. She let the morning prayer, just sitting in silence, set the tone for her day and not the anxiety of whatever was showing up on her phone. And it changed her. And she realized that making the bed matters in a way that she didn't consider before. She realized that it's true. The little disciplines add up to a major life change. And that's what I want us to hear this morning. The little repetitive, and let's be honest, sometimes boring Christian disciplines that we do each day, each week, each season. Didn't we already do this? Didn't we already talk about this? Doesn't the nativity story sound the same every single year? Yes, it does, but it matters. It matters. It all goes somewhere. Forgiving someone who didn't apologize to you. 
may seem like, you may use the same argument as that as someone who doesn't make the bed. Like, what does it matter? It's not going to change them. It's not going to change me. Like, what, why should I even do that? It does matter. It matters. Scheduling time to pray with others and by yourself, it matters. There's a difference between doing it and not doing it. And you feel that difference over time. Listening to the Word of God with others and also by yourself, it matters. Serving and giving in the name of Jesus, it matters. Practicing the weekly, the, the, the annual rhythms of worship that we have, it matters. And I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys are all here on a Sunday morning and most of you are in the weekly habit of coming and worshiping, so you already know this. But it's a good time to examine the little things in our lives, the reaching for the cell phone. Ooh, what is that doing to me? Ooh, these interactions that I have. Ooh, this, this habit that I just do, I don't know why I do it, I just started doing it. Maybe it's fine. But a periodic examination of where it's leading you and how it's shaping you might reveal some things the way that it did for this author. Little things add up to big things. One of my favorite movies is uh, The Shawshank Redemption. It's a story about a man who's wrongly accused of a crime, and he has to spend most of his life in prison. Uh, but he gets a hold of a little little uh, rock hammer, this little tool, and he starts kind of chipping away at his prison wall. If you know the story, you know where this leads. He kind of takes a little bit out at a time. And then it, a little bit becomes a little bit more. And he realizes that he can tunnel through his prison wall and get to a place where he can escape prison because he's, he's wrongfully accused. He should be free, but he's not. He's stuck. So he gets a big poster on his wall. He makes this big hole, and he just starts chipping away at it. Day after day, week after week, year after year after year. And you might be wondering, well, what does he do with all the dirt, shouldn't aren't the guards seeing like a huge pile of dirt that's piling up in the corner of his cell? How does he not get discovered? This is the cool part. Every day, after in the night, he would chisel away just a little bit. He would take a handful of dirt, he put it in his pocket, and he cut open the holes holes in the bottoms of his pocket, and he would go out during yard time when they would be able to go outside, and he would let go of the dirt. He would shake it out through his pant leg, undetected by the prison guards. He did this every day, every week, month after month, year after year. And it took him 19 years to tunnel through his prison wall and to empty all of the dirt that he was able to, that he needed to hide out in the prison yard. But he did. And the result was he became free. And I think there's a spiritual parallel there for us. The little disciplines that we take on and do daily even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like it's not adding up to something, it goes somewhere, it matters, and it transforms us, and it makes us free in Christ. So maybe here's some suggestions of what that might be in your life. Suggestion number one, make your bed. Make your bed in the morning. Uh, But again, I'm not here to change your mind about making your bed. It doesn't matter to me. The bigger picture about spiritual disciplines matters. But maybe you're inspired by Tish, and you could say, all right, I do want to start my day with something intentional. I do want to start my day with silence and prayer. That could be a good thing. If you're a phone person and you're like, I'm already in the habit of starting off my day, reaching for my phone, or I, 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 first thing I do is go to the bathroom and my phone comes with me, that's fine. 
Maybe instead of going to something that's going to make you stressed or make you envious of the people that you barely know in your life, go to your Bible app. Read a psalm. Read the book of James. Read the story of the life of Jesus. Just read one snapshot of Jesus' teachings, his compassion, his love, his sacrifice. That could be a good habit to start. Maybe add a discipline in your life of praying the breath prayer. Be simple. Remember, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do that as you're walking from your car to the place you go, the first place you go in your day. It could be that. It could be any number of things. Maybe do the thing you've been avoiding. Maybe that's what is needed in your life. Be intentional about saying, ah, I've been putting this off. Oh, I really need to have this conversation. I really need to get this in order. Do that as a discipline, as an intentional move toward being the kind of person God is calling you to be. Uh, I already mentioned this, but coming to church every Sunday is a good thing. This was in, like Julia, this was instilled in me as a child. It's never departed from me. Uh, in all different seasons of life, it feels wrong if I'm not gathering with the people of God. And some Sundays it does it for me, and some Sundays it takes it out of me. And maybe you're there as well. Some Sundays you may not feel like shouting, Hallelujah! You feel like crying out, How long, O Lord? And that's fair. But we do it anyway because we realize the little things matter. It's forming us. It's an intentional movement. And I don't know if I say this enough, but it matters that you're here. And it makes a difference when you're not here. A lot of times we go to church and we evaluate it like, ah, like I said, that did it for me, that didn't do it for me. I enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy that. That was what I was hoping for. That didn't live up to my expectations. That's a one-way way to evaluate it. How did it hit me? But we forget that you being here at all changes the tenor of, of what happens here. You being here encourages me. You being here encourages the people around you. It gives you an opportunity to connect with people and then make more chances to encourage and, and be the body of Christ throughout the week. It matters. It makes a difference. I've seen so many young people grow up in church and then stop going and say, it doesn't matter. I still have Jesus. I still have my disciplines. I still have faith. I do it in my own way and this kind of thing. And if that's true, then I'm not going to say it's not a good thing. But my question that I always wonder is, when you're out of the rhythm of something that's good, are you in the rhythm of something that's pulling you away from God? This is built in. We're here every week. So <laughs> jump on, sign on to that. Quick side story that's related to this. I'm, I'm being inspired. I was part of this gathering of youth ministers that would meet in Livermore every Thursday morning. And they'd get together at Starbucks at the same time. Like same Starbucks, same just kind of standing meeting. We want you to be here. And we'd talk about youth ministry, we'd share ideas, we'd encourage each other, we'd always pray together. In the fall, I wasn't a big fan of this group because I don't follow NFL football very much at all, and they would talk a lot about their fantasy leagues, and they'd talk a lot about the games that they saw, that Thursday night was coming up, and I guess kind of started going, you know what, this, is, this group's fine on their own. It doesn't matter whether I'm not, whether I'm here, so I would come, not every week, I'd start to go every other week, or sometimes once a month, and it was fine with me. I still got a lot out of it. I was like, this is a good group. I'll check in with them every once in a while. And one guy kind of pulled me aside. All right, we were leaving one week, and he was like, all right, you need to start coming every week. And I said, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, it matters that you're here. It makes a difference when you're here. And I went, 
It seemed like it didn't. I wondered if that was true. But him saying, you know what, I, I want you to be here. I look forward to having you here. You bring something to the group. The dynamic is different. I want you here every week. And I went, I didn't know. I started going every week. And it was good for me. And apparently it was good for the group. Because sometimes we just don't know. And I want to let you guys know, you know, this church is not about whether or not I'm here to preach or not. It's about whether we're all here to be the body and do what God's called us to do. Anyway, that's my shameless plug for show up every week. We need you. We love you. Uh, there's a number of other disciplines that you could add to your life. The last one I'll mention specifically, which is not a very specific suggestion, is maybe the discipline that you need to add to your life is the thing that you used to do. Maybe it's the thing that was intentional and soul-nourishing and life-giving and that helped you on the path to following Jesus that you just kind of fell out of the habit of doing. Maybe it's not adding something new that you've never tried before. Maybe it's the discipline that you were like, yeah, that, that was good. I don't, know, I don't know what happened to that or where that went. Maybe it's returning to something good in your life. You may have noticed uh, earlier in our worship, we showed you the one, two, three, connect video. Uh, and Julia told us about her daily discipline of reading the Bible. Fantastic. That's a great example. Um, remember one, two, three, connect? <laughs> I think we did that in 2020 or 2021. It was kind of this way of organizing what we do as a church. But it was during a time when the church was like, I mean, we weren't meeting in person, or we almost were, or we were figuring things out. Some families were leaving. The leadership was in transition. It was, it was not a good time to start something new, but it still was a good idea. One, two, three, connect. Connecting with God, one, by yourself, two, in, with partners, and three, as a church. I thought that was a great idea, but it kind of was the wrong time for that campaign, which is why this video looks old. But anyway, we filmed Julia, and we encourage you to do that. Fit that in your life if that works with your schedule. I filmed a second video, and then there weren't any videos after that. Because again, like I said, false start. But the next one I want to share with you now, and it's me talking about a discipline that I started doing um, in my life. And at various times in my life, I'm more or less consistent with it, but it's valuable. And when I return to it, it's something that works with my schedule, and it's really uh, helpful life-giving, intentional. So anyway, watch this video, and then I'll come back, and I'll lead us into a time of communion where we will uh, practice a discipline together. Ready, go. One, two, three, connect! connect. We believe that spiritual formation and growth happen best when people connect with the Lord in three areas. On your own, with partners, and in the church. Today, I want to share with you a discipline that I've been cultivating in that number one on my own area. It's helped me, and maybe it'll be something that can help you as well. So every day, uh, almost every day, I come out to the front of the church building, I sit out a chair, and I just take 15 minutes, and I sit in silence. And uh, it's become a form of prayer for me. A lot of times praying can be about what we're saying to God and what we're asking from God, but we often neglect the just, just sit in the presence of God. 
and it's become a really hard discipline because uh, every day when I come into the, the church office, there's things I need to do. There's emails I need to respond to. There's videos I need to shoot. There's things I need to read or study. There's just all kinds of tasks that I want to get to. That's what happens when you get to the office. So it takes a lot of willpower for me to say, all right, all that stuff can wait. No matter what's going on, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to be with God. Uh, it's great when I do it, but it's hard to make myself do it consistently every day. Like I said, I, almost every day. Some days I get too rushed and caught up in things and I don't. But it's a, it's a good time to just sit. And sometimes I'll bring the Bible and I'll read some Psalms or just you know listen for God in God's Word. Uh, sometimes I'll pray for the people in our church, people on the prayer list, uh, people in my life. But a lot of the times it's just sitting and watching the sky and uh, just hearing the silence and uh, enjoying uh, a moment of rest. It's very peaceful. It's, it's very good. A lot of times if I can get the thoughts in my brain to settle down long enough, I can, I can hear maybe some things that I hadn't heard before. I'll, some thoughts will come to mind and I'll say, oh, maybe that's God pointing me in a certain direction. Uh, it's been really good. I think nowadays we have a lot of time to ourselves. A lot of us are more closed indoors, and a lot of the things that we would be doing and busying ourselves with are not available anymore. And I really think that you can look at that as a, a disadvantage and a, something to be sad about, and, and sure it is. But it's also an opportunity for us to spend more time with God, to just spend more time in silence and in solitude and, and listen for what God maybe wants us to know. So they, they did this study about 10 years ago where they uh, had subjects come in for an experiment and they said, we want you to sit in a room by yourself, no phones, no stimulation, no nothing to look at, just sit in a chair in silence uh, for 15 minutes. But what they gave the subjects of this experiment was a, a little buzzer that was attached to them and if they pressed the button, it would give them an electric shock. Uh, you know, not a harmful one, but an unpleasant electric shock. And they did a study to see who would do that, who would choose any kind of stimulation, even if it was negative, even if it was somewhat harmful over the pain of being just alone with your thoughts. And uh, they found that two-thirds of all men who participated in this experiment hit the button at least once in the 15 minutes and 25% of all women that participated in this uh, hit the button. It's kind of crazy because it shows that people would rather <laughs> be stimulated than not. We crave it. In some ways, that's, I mean, what do they say? The average person touches their smartphone 150 times a day. You're like, not me. Pay attention. Pay attention. For some people, it's more. We reach for it. We're in the habit of doing it. Maybe it's television. Maybe you can't be alone. You reach for your phone. You've got to call somebody in your life. Again, not the worst things in your life. These aren't bad things that you need to get rid of. They're just things that get prioritized in the wrong way. Part of that is just we've, we're not good at being still and 
knowing that God's in control. If I stop talking, some of you start to wonder if this is a waste of time. You could be doing something else on your own. You'd be making better use of this time. We should be productive. We're, we're doing nothing is painful for us. This experiment kind of proves that. But as followers of Christ, I mean, Jesus left the hustle and bustle of the demands of his ministry, of his popularity, of his healing. And he said, I'm just going to go be with the Father. I need to be in his presence. There's something good about that discipline. And so that's the discipline I want us to practice now as we turn our attention toward Jesus and his mastery of the human experience, his love that he showed by sacrificing his life, his dying on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate when we think about the cross. If you haven't gotten a communion cup, there are some in the back. If you're joining us online, uh, grab something to drink, something to eat. I'm going to pray a prayer of thanks. And then I'm going to invite you into a time of silence. Well, how long, Jacob? I'm not telling you. It's a moment, maybe a moment and a half of silence. But I want you to embrace this silence. I want you to lean into it. I want you to remember it's not nothing. We're not doing nothing. We are doing intentionally being silent in the presence of God because we believe he's here. We believe he might have something to reveal to us. You can turn your mind to the cross. Remember Jesus, you can pray a silent prayer of thanks. It's, it's up to you, but we're going to be silent together because the little things matter. And this is important, and it's a good discipline to cultivate, so we're going to practice it together now. Let's pray a prayer of thanks, uh, and then when the prayer is over, take the bread, drink the juice, and enjoy the silence. Lord Jesus, we... We praise you. We love you. We admire you. We, we want to be like you. We don't want to be conformed to the patterns of this world. We want to be transformed. We want you to renew our minds and our guts and our bodies and our relationships and our habits. We come before you today and we say, my heart, my mind, my body, my soul, I give to you. Lord Jesus, take control. Make us who you want us to be. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for the promise that you'll never leave us and never forsake us. And as we enter into this time where we can just sit and acknowledge that comforting truth, how much you love us, how much you care for us, we ask your, your spirit to move among us, direct our thoughts toward opportunities in our lives for positive change, to be more like uh, Jesus, the Savior. We pray this prayer in his name. Amen.